Let us remember we are always and everywhere in the holy presence of God. Hello and welcome to the Presence Podcast, episode number 94. I'm writing and recording this on Thursday morning rather than yesterday, Wednesday. I want to keep out my podcast a day, so I will plan to record my regular one later for today, later this evening. In the more than three months that I've been recording this podcast, there's been a few times when something has preempted my evening time when I usually record this, and therefore I needed to do it the next day. Last night, I'll share momentarily, was one of those times. Yesterday, I came to my senses about a way that I've not been keeping my eyes, my ears, and my soul open to the presence of God. My GPM, God's presence moment, yesterday, was when I was confronted by this reality. So let's turn off all our devices, except whichever one you're using to listen right now, and sit here and share and listen. Yesterday began with me paying particular attention to Thomas Merton. I was also thinking of Reverend Martin Luther King on the 50th anniversary of his murder. Thomas Merton, the great Trappist monk of the 1950s and 1960s, who wrote prolifically and captured the attention of many back then and still to this day, was an older contemporary of Reverend King. While I know that Martin Merton excuse me, visited with the Dalai Lama, there's a photo of this which I'll post on the Facebook page for the podcast, and he also met with spiritual figures other of his time, such as Dorothy Day and others, I wonder whether Merton and Martin ever met or corresponded. I was thinking of Merton because of a great new book I got out of the library, the title, What I Am Living For, Lessons from the Life and Writings of Thomas Merton, which contains essays by many of the most thoughtful writers of our time. I've also begun listening to brand new music by Elena Lewandowski, whom I've talked about a number of times on the podcast. She has an entire album out just the other day with songs inspired by Thomas Merton. And I've begun listening to an audiobook about Merton's experience of what it means to be a contemplative, written and read by James Finley, who was himself a novice monk years ago under the tutelage of Merton himself. I want to grow in my own sense of contemplating and experiencing God's presence more and more each and every moment. I am growing in this through my practice of daily mindful meditation, which I've engaged in daily now for almost three quarters of a year. And the discipline of this podcast is also helping me to pay better attention to where God is to be found, finding me within daily life. Yet I have a huge blind spot. I think due to not wanting to sacrifice something I like, but something which is making me distracted and unavailable to those closest to me, who are my wife and my children. This was put in front of me yesterday when my wife was quite upset about how much time our teenage son spends in front of screens, video gaming, internet use, games on his phone, and so forth. I imagine many, if not most, parents of teens today have similar concerns about their children. Yet I wonder if other parents do better than my wife and me in putting boundaries around how much time those those people's kids can be on the screen. Because I know my wife and I don't do as good of a job as I think we need to in putting those boundaries um, around the screens. In the afternoon yesterday, my wife, in her frustration that I'm not more engaged in helping our son with boundaries around the screen usage, said something to me that she said before. Rick, 
Since you are so distracted by your own screen usage, you are not able to help our son navigate his own excessive usage. The conclusion was, if we want him to turn off the screens more, you need to do this first, is what she said to me. I didn't want to hear this and got defensive and started making all kinds of rationalizations. Although I took a walk with my son yesterday afternoon, something which is good for both of us to do, the issue with my wife was incomplete, and so we returned to it before bedtime. I won't give the play-by-play here except to say I got very defensive and angry as she challenged me to downsize the many, many apps on my phone and often, and also to look at how often I put my phone in my hand to check on whatever it is I think is so important. After I finally realized how seriously she sees my overuse of technology and how it is truly hurting our relationship, I finally broke down last night. I sobbed for a little while after she stormed up to bed. I then prayed for God's help and began deleting apps from my phone. My wife sees some of the time I spend on my phone, and she is upset by the distraction this causes me. But she doesn't feel the way I do when I'm honest with myself, when I get wrapped up in something screen-related. Two little recent stories. My phone got the upgrade to a new operating system recently, and I've been exploring this like a new lover infatuated with his beloved. I have so many news apps and other apps which send me notifications, and I've been spending much time and attention looking at these as soon as they arrive. The problem is dual. They take my time looking, and then, because they are usually what I see as bad news about our current social and political situation, I then get in my head and dwell on these unimportant things. Now, they of course are important, but are they helpful and useful to my well-being and to me being present to whatever is going on around me? No, I must say they are not, regardless of what I want to think about them. This is a long-time pattern for me. Get in my head thinking or worrying rather than being in my body and present to whomever I'm with and or whatever I'm feeling. A second recent example. I discovered the other day how to change the font on my phone. Once I saw the limited number of rather ugly fonts available, I got obsessed. Yes, that is the right word for it, with figuring out how to get more fonts from my phone. My wife wasn't home to see this, and I don't want to admit how this silly, insignificant desire, which I wanted to believe was a need, made me skip lunch and run a few minutes late for a dental appointment that day. I'm not ready to call my harming relationship with screens an addiction just yet, but if someone is so obsessed with alcohol that they are skipping important things and not fulfilling commitments, then they might want to consider whether they are an alcoholic. So, where am I today? I still have more apps to delete. This is a form of spring cleaning for me, just as valuable as the cleaning of the basement my wife and I plan to do later today. I'm not ready to wipe everything tech away, as there are beneficial things about it, like my meditation app and the app for this podcast. More importantly, I can think and choose when and how and how much I want to interact with my technology. Rather than doing like I so often do, look at my phone and all the news feeds when I'm standing in line, waiting, drifting through the kitchen, or even in my classroom as the students are working. Rather than mindlessly doing this, I can mindfully note the desire to do this 
and then choose to make a different choice, like to pay attention to what is going on around and especially within me, rather than what is inside the artificial screened out world of technology. As part of my Thomas Merton connecting or reconnecting, I suppose, I pulled out a book I've had for a long time, which I read regularly during a significant time of my life. It's a book of the Prayer of the Hours, composed completely of Merton's rich writings. Ironically, though, I only have the book on my Kindle Fire, so I will need to use a screen to read it. But it gives me the chance to better learn how to use the screen reasonably and in a way that connects me and not in a way that distracts me. I felt God's presence just a few moments ago as I read these words of Merton for this day and for this time of day. Although they were written long before the the arrival of the mega distraction, which is the Internet and all of the technology we have at our fingertips, Merton's words are ones to which I really relate right now. I hear God speaking to me in these words of a holy yet very real inhuman man. Merton says, Now let us frankly face the fact that our culture is one which is geared in many ways to help us evade any need to face this inner silent self. We live in a state of constant semi-attention to the sound of of voices, music, traffic, or the generalized noise of what goes on around us all the time. This keeps us immersed in a flood of racket and words, a diffuse medium in which our consciousness is half-diluted. We are not quite thinking, not entirely responding, but we are more or less there. We are not fully present and not entirely absent, not fully withdrawn, not yet not completely available. It cannot be said that we are really participating in anything, and we may in fact be half-conscious of our alienation and resentment. Yet we derive a certain comfort from the vague sense that we are part of something, although we are not quite able to define what that something is and probably wouldn't want to define it even if we could. We just float along in the general noise, resigned and indifferent. We share semi-consciously in the mindless mind of Muzak and radio commercials, which passes for reality. End quote. If you're up to it, and quite frankly brave enough, I think, to do it, Spend a few minutes evaluating how you use screens. How long each day are you on one? What are you using the screen for? Growth and learning? Distraction? Entertainment? Seeking pleasure? Seeking to relieve boredom? When do you use screens? And most importantly, how might you experience the presence of God more fully if you put down the screens. Thanks for listening. Blessings and peace.